You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Dan Dunleavy, the voice of the Buffalo Sabres on the MSG Network. And at the top of the next hour, it's been a minute since we'll talk to or that guest. Uh, Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames on Sports at 960. All this on my, it looks like Noah Hannafin's going to the Buffalo Sabres uh, thought, which has absolutely zero, like, substance to it. <laughs> Just a hunch. We we booked two guests based on a hunch of mine. Yeah, just a morsel. Yeah. A straight hunch. Um. In honor of uh, Logan Paul saying that he walked out on Oppenheimer because, quote, there was too much talking. What is a movie everyone loves that you hate? 960, 960, name and location. We'll do that at 830 to wrap up the show. Do you and Patrick have one yet? Yeah, I said Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm okay, not a Lord fan of, of them. Rings. I have a little okay. bit of one that might be a little controversial in the kind of realm that I'm thinking. Okay, let's save it then. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is the Batman with Robert Pattinson. Woo. Sucked. It's not that bad. Uh, not you know who bad. doesn't suck? Uh, you say Kikuchi and the Blue Jays, <laughs> who have a bit, who have a big uh, game tonight in Baltimore against the Orioles. To talk about it, a guy who played for both teams, uh, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet, former Major League Baseball catcher on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Broadcast Hotline. We say good morning to Caleb Joseph. Hey, Caleb, how are you? Good morning. Doing well. Doing well. Um, are you ready for the question, the text question of the day, or do you want to save it for the end of the interview? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. What is the movie, Caleb Joseph, everyone loves that you hate? Hmm. I'm not a very big sci-fi guy. Not a big sci-fi guy. So this might shock you, but I'm not into the Star Wars stuff. Okay. Not into it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, did you ever play in a ballpark where it was Star Wars night and you're like, I just don't get oh, this? Yeah. Every minor league city that I ever played in, it seemed like had Star Wars night presented by, you know, so it's like, okay, it's the same people that travel around and you as a player know their little routine. Like after you've played in nine different minor league cities, you know the whole routine, you know how it's going to end and you're like, Chewbacca gets him in the end, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, not, not a Star Wars guy. Okay. Um, is it, is it like, how hard is it for minor league teams to fight for those people on May 4th? Uh, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's one of those, one of those highly anticipated nights of the, of the summer. And so you have all kinds of teams that are really trying to, to, to book, those are those are the entertaining ones because then you get you get every type of fan out there. It doesn't matter; they have no idea baseball's going on. They just want to see fifteen minutes of Star Wars reenactment with raw live people, and that's what they go for. <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, I'm not a big Star Wars guy either, but uh, I love it, Caleb. Um, we had Ben Wagner on um, a few weeks ago, uh, and we played the clip of you and Ben on the broadcast when Bo Bichette got hurt and you were definitely like the, the human side popped up you're like oh no no not to Bo Bichette and thankfully he's back in the lineup after that knee injury but Ben told us an interesting story that you have a big time personal connection with Bo Bichette can you share that with us yeah so Bo and I we've we 
became close in 2020 when I was with the team and just learned so much from him and his, his dad. His dad was uh, traveling with the team as well, was sort of like an assistant hitting coach in 2020, um, advisor, jack of all trades, whatever, um, and just really, really knew the swing. And so I was gravitating towards both Dante and Bo, and we just got to be good buddies and built a lot of trust there. And I've just been so impressed with his career and how he's done it and who he is kind of off the field. And he's, he's very misunderstood, uh, just kind of the, the, the flow and the, what seems like carelessness, uh, just super chill, super cool bow. There's a, there's a massive drive in that guy to win, to be a great teammate, to be just all of the above. And if I was, you know, if I was kind of starting a, a franchise, I, he, I, he'd be high on the list for me to start kind of building around. So I'm glad he's a Toronto Blue Jay, but yep, very, very, very unique guy. We we might be watching a potential Hall of Famer, to be honest with you, just the way that he swings the bat. If he can play, if he can play league average defense, he's already on kind of a Hall of Fame trajectory. If you look at just ages and some stats here and there, so it could be something special here. And um, I'm a big believer in Bo. What do you think just having that personality back in the clubhouse has done for the team? <clears throat> well, yeah, it's when you take your best hitter out of the lineup, that's going to affect it negatively, obviously. And what Bo brings is he just brings that, that level of confidence. And he used the word fearless in an interview a couple of days ago. He was asked what he thinks the offense kind of, needs to to pick it up on and he said I just I really hope that from here on out we can we can play fearlessly and I thought that was a really interesting quote and a really interesting word and that's what Bo brings is Bo goes up there knowing exactly what he wants to do each and every at bat and he goes out there and fearlessly executes it and when you put a guy like that in the lineup it's very easy to kind of follow that guy to see how he goes about his business to start asking him, hey, what are, you, what are you sitting here? Well, I'm going up there looking fastball. Or I might be looking change up here. And because he's had so much success, he's a great guy to follow in terms of game plan and just how he approaches the game. But what he does in that two-hole for the actual lineup, I love it. They got Whit Merrifield leading off, which typically on base. He just gets finds a way to get on base. There's a massive four-hole over there in between the first baseman and the second baseman. That's where a lot of Bo Bichette's hits want to go. And uh, <clears throat> so it's basically like having a left-handed two-hole hitter, which is kind of the preference for a lot of major league managers. But, yeah, big, big piece of that puzzle in Toronto. You were uh, talking about some a moment ago as far as, like, sometimes he might appear, uh, appear like a little bit lackadaisical or, or maybe not as intense as it as athletes maybe used to be, and we're just seeing that a lot more. I think of a guy like Fernando Tatis, who uh, he had the PED suspension, and then he comes back, he's taunting with fans and all this type of thing. It feels like the younger superstars are a little bit less prone to take themselves serious, and I think that's good for the game. Would you agree? Yeah, the game is, is definitely changing and different. Even when I kind of first made my Major League debut in 2014, it it, it absolutely is taking different routes to get to the end game. And a lot of times I just have to remind myself that we're in the entertainment business and the fans are changing as well. And what does it take to be entertaining? 
And a lot of times you go back to some of those unwritten rules and all of those type of things. And the older generation of fans, they, they knew that. And that's just how the game was played. This kind of younger generation of fans, they like to be entertained different ways. And so whereas I kind of still tend to lean towards more of an old school type approach, um, I do see how the fans and, and the players are engaging each other, whether it's social media, whether it's just the style of play, whether it's all the interactions. And yes, if it grows the game, I think it's great for the game. And so they're the ones playing. We're the ones watching. So if it doesn't bother them inside the way they play the style, if it, uh, if it doesn't bother the players, then why should it bother us as fans? And so it is, it is entertaining. It's a whole different style of game. So I think it's good for it. Uh, Caleb, I don't even know if uh, you can answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Obviously, you, you mentioned Bo Bichette and his, and his dad, Dante, was a very, very good Major League Baseball player. But Vlad's dad is in the Hall of Fame. Do you think that just weighs on Vlad a lot more than maybe Bo because you know his dad's one of the greatest players who ever played the game and trying to live up to the expectation and hearing that when Vlad was a 16-year-old, they might even be better than his dad. Do you think that's been weighing on him? throughout his major league career, especially when he's starting to struggle to live up to those expectations. Are we finally starting to see that maybe that is worrying on him a little bit? It's a great question. Uh, This is just going to be pure. Yeah, sure. Just having a conversation. I I totally get it. I would suspect that, that it has to, how could it not? I mean, I, I, I just remember feeling the pressure of, performance and I was a backup catcher that nobody remembers and is a less than 1% on the immaculate grid. Um, and I felt the performance pressure of just go out there and do it so that I don't embarrass, you know, my family or my friends or just my own expectations. And then you add on the fact that, like you said, buddy's dad's in the hall of fame. And then you add on the fact that he was second in 2021 to winning the MVP. And so there's, there's this kind of level of expectation that I think that not only he probably puts on himself, but we as Toronto fans put on him. And that's my biggest thing is I, I, I wish people would back off Vladdy. That's just me. I, I'm a little bit different. And I know people a lot of times in, in, that follow the Blue Jays, they really put a lot of emphasis on Vladdy Guerrero Jr. And rightfully so. He's a big piece of this puzzle, huge piece of the puzzle. But if it was just one hitter in one offense that could really truly carry a team to a World Series, Aaron Judge would have a World Series. Mike Trout would have multiple World Series because he has another buddy over there that's pretty good in Otani. And you just can't really lean on one guy for all of the offense. It's just different. You've got to have one through nine. One guy can make a big difference, but if we put all of the weight on Vladdy, I'd I, I think it's hindering him as well. So you add personal pressure, you add media pressure, daddy pressure. This guy's facing a lot, and he's just 24 years old. Good right. grief, 24. I was an A-ball in 24, A-ball. And so, yes, I absolutely feel like he is feeling the heat, feeling the pressure this year, and I'm trying my best to back off of him and not highlight him every single night, not focus on him. Because he's got to figure this out. These are just learning curves. Bo went through this last year. Bo started off very, very difficult last year. And 
about halfway through, he started figuring some stuff out on his own. Pretty similar age, pretty similar talent-wise, and by September, he was the hottest hitter on the planet. He has continued that this entire year. Um, I asked I asked Buck Martinez this question. We had him on the show on Friday. I want to ask you the same one about Vlad Jr. because being a former catcher, you just see the game differently. Is is it a mechanical thing, or is it just pitch selection for Vlad Guerrero this season? Yeah, not mechanical at all. I I I believe that there are certain times when you can start to point to clear mechanics. Mm-hmm. when you're doing so many things right and you just have a mechanical flaw. But what a lot of people don't realize is the mechanical flaws are nine times out of ten coming from either not being on time, not being ready to hit, or not having a plan. And so I think those, the three things that I just mentioned, I think that's really kind of his issue, is not exactly sure what he's looking for, it might not be specific enough. Is he really ready to hit that pitch? And is there some fear going on of maybe not swinging at a good pitch in the zone? And so for me, it's just it's, it's mentality. Because when he has been on time, when he's gotten his pitch, when he's hit it, it's been 115 loud somewhere off the wall or over it. So it tells me mechanically – He's fine mechanically, but as a player, when you don't feel good because you're swinging at 95 inside, you're swinging at 95 inside not because the mechanics of your swing stink. It's because you're unsure of a plan that you had going into it or the guy just tricked you or you're trying not to chase or a byproduct of all of these different things. That makes any sense. So it's going to look bad. When he swings at a pitch four inches inside or six inches outside, his mechanics of his swing are going to look awful. But if you put him in batting practice, he never takes that swing in batting practice. He'll hit every single ball out in batting practice, and so the mechanics are there. It's just all about approach, what he's looking for, how specific he can get, how disciplined he can be to not swing at the other stuff. And that's when you see his A swing come out. And that's all you're looking for. How many times can you get your A swing off in the big leagues? And when Vladdy has all, th- all three of those working and he gets his A swing off, big, big things can happen for him. Fresh set against the Baltimore Orioles uh, gets going here today, Caleb. A team that has had the Jays number, it's well documented. Sometimes team just does that over the course of a season. What has Baby Men the, been the most perplexing problem for the Jays in this series because or in this season series because they've had struggles with the bats, they've had more struggles with the pitching than we usually see this year. What's been the the biggest thing for you? For me it's it's just been capitalizing on their opportunities with runners on. When you look at kind of the Orioles and how they've done it this year, they have they have really taken full advantage of all those opportunities. I just remember the very last set this these three these two teams played three games set at, at Rogers Center and I was I was doing the radio with Wagner and it was just amazing really to watch the team the Orioles that is just not really do anything crazy special it wasn't like they were hitting four or five home runs a game they were just so opportunistic with their offense and when they had a guy take a walk they found some way to get him to second base whether it was a dirt ball read or a wild pitcher, uh, a stolen base, and then they found a way to get him in, and and it wasn't always the homer. And so 
the Blue Jays have had a ton of opportunities. They've actually generated more opportunities this year than they had last year. It's just a matter of kind of getting them in. Now, they are coming off of a really nice game, Sunday's game, in Cincinnati where they think he hit five home runs. They really, really swung the bats well. And you can start to breathe some of that confidence into other series if you continue what you've done. And so if you look on paper, the Jays should beat the Orioles every time. They're better starter starting pitching. Their bullpen is, is, in my opinion, now better than the Orioles' bullpen. Their defense in my opinion, is better. And they run the bases. So now the hitting is going to be the separator. So it's been kind of this theme for the team the entire season is they have kind of three of the four massive pieces of the puzzle ready to go. Can they swing it enough? They're generating chances. It's just continued success with runners in scoring position that, in my opinion, is going to kind of determine their fate and will, for me, determine their fate in this uh, set against the Orioles. One of the players that's been a real problem for the Jays really since he came into the league is Ryan Mountcastle. Did you ever have a player that you faced that was solid, but whenever he faced your team, it felt like he was playing at an MVP level and and made it difficult for your group? Oh, yeah. A bunch of them. I mean, number 19 for the Blue Jays was pretty good. (laughs) Now, of course, he was good no matter what, but like he found a way. He found a way to just ramp it up, and that's when you're going, good grief, a really good player that ramps it up into Hall of Fame-style production every game of the series. That's what scares you. Yeah, what Mountcastle has been doing against the Jays is is pretty unbelievable. It's pretty remarkable, and like I was telling you earlier, I was doing the radio for that. Actually, I think it might have been a four-game set, and it was he could have turned the bat – upside down in his hands had the barrel of the bat in his hands and the handle facing the pitcher and I guarantee you he would have gotten a hit I mean there's just something about when you're in a zone like that but the weird thing is he's been in this quote zone against the Blue Jays for like three years now and I've seen a bunch of them live and it is remarkable how much contact loud contact that he's generating and the Jays have tried everything they've tried up and in they've tried low and away they've tried down and in they I mean they're mixing it up and uh I I I don't know what you do I have no idea what you do I know what you would get if you were 10 for 15 in a series back in like 1986 is you'd earn yourself a bow tie at about 97 um (laughs) right under the chin Mm -hmm. trying to back you off I mean Nolan Ryan would just straight up bow tie you there but I don't know what you do in this in this in this day and age, but yeah, what he's done has been phenomenal. It does remind me of Jose Bautista v. Darren O'Day, uh, kind of one-on-one battles oh, that yeah. more times than not ended up uh, in the Jays' favor. Just a guy that shows up and he right. just got your number. You know, going into it, like this is the guy that's probably going to beat us. How do we keep him from beating us? Bautista was that guy. Um, Caleb, you say Kikuchi's starting tonight, obviously. I don't think there's any question. The biggest surprise in the Blue Jays' rotation, or maybe the fact that Alec Manoa is in AAA right now, but one of those two stories are the biggest of the Blue Jays' pitching staff this season. Uh, I know Buck and Dan were talking about the release point of Yusei Kikuchi. Is that the closest thing you can equate to a golf swing, is how fine the release point is on a pitcher? Because if it's just slightly off, things just go awry? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And... 
technology these days has been able to really show us just how finite and just how minute these these differences are. I mean, it's tiny, yet it can really throw off exactly what the pitch starts to spin like early on. And the slow motion cameras are so great because you can start to see all this stuff in real time. And yeah, it's just like a club face coming into impact. I mean, a millimeter, two millimeters open, closed. You're talking about two totally different ball flights, all of this type of stuff. The repeatability of his windup in general is, for me, just the biggest point, which allows him to get to that release point. But what he's doing at the very start is he's, he's out of the stretch. He's no longer kind of pulling that leg up as the traditional Japanese player. They kind of pull their lead leg up, and they will kind of have this very unique and distinct hesitation before they go. You say when I had him in 2021 with the Mariners, he would pull that lead leg up, and it would be like a one, two, three, and he would do like a bunch of bumps and he'd be up there for a while, and then he'd kick and then come down the mound and fire the baseball. They have done so much in terms of dropping his hands, in terms of really shortening that leg lift that allows him to get his hand going, break his hands, so that his hands can then catch up with his lower half, which is working on the mound, and it's allowing him to get out in front with that good release point and repeat his windup. He was missing high into the arm side over and over and over. And it was because he could not get his hands caught up. And so Pete Walker and the pitching department deserve a ton of credit for getting him in a position where he can get to that release point, repeat his delivery. And now we're seeing who he could be, who he could be. He could be a guy that is 95, 97 from the left side, a good slider, the Shape on his slider has been phenomenal, and I love this curveball. He's got a lot of confidence right now. The curveball is a great pitch because it really separates itself in terms of miles per hour. It gives him another weapon he can throw in there, oh-oh, so that he doesn't have to show the slider right away if he thinks a guy is going to try and jump on the fastball. I love where he's at. They have done a phenomenal job with him, and he deserves a lot of credit because last year was really tough came in with a lot of expectations, miserably failed. This year he came in, he has met those expectations, and for me, he's exceeded them. Wanted to ask you one other thing. Uh, you mentioned it, the Immaculate Grid. How has that changed your life? You get a lot of texts and tweets when your names come up in the grid? So the, the running joke is Jamie Campbell on Blue Jays Central has been waiting for weeks now to get – a square that has me in it. And he just kept saying, I hope you have a picture. Like, you better have a picture. Because, you know, the oh, guy yeah. that doesn't have a picture is kind of like, oh, did that guy really play in the big leagues, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, about 6.30 in the morning uh, a week or so ago, I get a text, and he just said, today is the day. And I think I was like, right in the middle. And it was uh, – it was Baltimore, Arizona, and he must have been the first person to do the immaculate grid that day or something because my percentage was like point zero zero one, and he was like, yes, I got it. But then I showed up to the park uh, at Rogers Center, and there were actually about six or seven other coworkers that had uh, geniusly put me in. And, you know, the name of the game is to get the most obscure 
mm-hmm. player, right? Like trying to get the lowest percentage. So I was just so honored that I was under 1% and uh, that, yes, all of us uh, very lesser-known players are now incredibly valuable in this game of Immaculate Grid. I love it. Whoever invented this is a genius. I love it. Um, Caleb Joseph, Blue Jays analyst, former Major League Baseball catcher. Uh, you watch him on Sportsnet. Jays and Orioles tonight in the uh, opener of a series at Camden Yards. Caleb, always a pleasure. Thanks for this, pal. Let's do it again soon. You got it. Enjoyed it. See you guys. There he is in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. Straight ahead, Maddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hypothetical Noah Hannafin to the Sabres idea has spawned two guests back-to-back, Dan Dunleavy, Derek Wills. Yes. Uh, we'll talk to Dan Lund- Dunleavy about the Buffalo Sabres. Do they need Noah Hannafin on the blue line? What would that cost, potentially, and uh, we'll get a uh, Rick Jenneret story from Dan Dunleavy as well, the legendary broadcaster passing away last week. And we'll talk to our man Derek Will and all, Derek Wills. And also at eight thirty, in honor of uh, Logan Paul saying he walked out of Oppenheimer because quote it was uh, too much talking. What is the movie everyone loves that you just hate? Nine sixty nine sixty name and location. Uh, Maddie's got a hot take coming up with that as well. Let's do that at the end of this hour. Okay. Good. <laughs> Fine. Fine, then. If you're going to be like that. Big show, Russell and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's The Big Show, Russell and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The top of the hour, Derek Wools, the voice of the Calgary Flames on Sportsnet 960, will join us. We're also taking your text messages at 960-960, name and location, in honor of Logan Paul. That's right, Logan Paul, saying he walked out of Oppenheimer because it was there was just too much talking. What is a movie everyone loves that you hate? 960-960, name and location. We'll wrap up the show with that at 8.30. Maddie's got a hot one to wrap up this hour. We'll do that, too. But first, uh, he is the voice of the Buffalo Sabres on the MSG Network. Uh, we say good morning on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to Dan Dunleavy. Dan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Um, I'm going to stop. Mr. Paul, but I can care less what he thinks. I've not seen the movie. But uh, <laughs> I would encourage everyone to I would encourage everyone to form their own opinions. Yes. Um Instead of someone who wants as much clickbait as they can get in their life, it's true. Um, what is that movie yeah. though, Dan? That you uh, you don't really care for that everyone loves? That's a really good question. Everyone, well, name me one movie you think everyone loves. I'll tell you if I like it because I can't really think. Of. Well, I, I got a recent one. Uh, it was the Batman last summer with Robert Pattinson. Oof, it was a tough watch, Dan, for me. That, you know what? That's an interesting one. Um, I have grown to like that, but I walked out of the theater with my wife, and I said, it just didn't live up to what I was expecting. Right. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, mean I did, doesn't mean I didn't like it. Uh, it was different. Right. Yeah, it was different. I did walk out of a movie. I can't remember which one it was. I mean, it was years ago, but I remember I did get up and walk out of one. So, you know, Mr. Paul... Mr. Paul's not wrong. There are movies you just can't sit through. 
Right. Mine was, I remember this from back in the day, Battlefield Earth with John Travolta I walked out of. Uh, I might have walked out on Howard the Duck. <laughs> Maddie, Patrick, and GVP, my younger my younger co-hosts on this show, Dan, have no idea what Howard the Duck is. Yeah, well, watch it later today, and you'll get a... I mean, yeah, you'll probably keep watching it. Because I would actually watch Howard the Duck start to finish now, but when yeah. it came out and it was such... It was supposed to be such a blockbuster hit about this giant talking duck... Right. Um, and I remember sitting through and thinking, you're kidding me, right? Okay, I right. gotta go. <laughs> I know okay. all about anyway. this, George. Howard the Duck is a Marvel character who shows up in the new MCU and, yes, did have an absolute flop of a movie back in the 80s. Oh, see, in yeah, my face. Yeah, I, yeah I, I guess I need to apologize to him. The more I speak like Mr. Paul, who speaks even more than a play-by-play announcer, I need to apologize <laughs> right. to him because, yeah, um, yeah, fair enough. I love it. When you said, again, I have to ask you a broadcasting question because you're an incredible broadcaster. Uh, we work together at the Fan 590 in Toronto, just incredible broadcaster. I, I, th- this is something I've been saving for you. Um, you said uh, you just said Howard the Duck. I remember Disco Duck, uh, Rick Dees. So Rick Dees is a, yeah. for, for those of you who don't know, Rick Dees is a legendary like radio DJ. Rick Dees in the weekly top 40. He's been doing it for years. The man's 73 years old, and I heard, I was just flipping through the radio stations, uh, Dan, and he's talking about the new Dua Lipa song, and I'm like, he's just, it's so weird to me that a man in his 70s is talking about the most, you know, popular of pop music right now. It's like, God bless that guy for holding on for this long. Well, I'll tell you what, you bring up an interesting topic. Um, You know, Rob Ray, our color commentator out here, he and I talk about this a lot, actually. And, and this will fall onto the heels, actually, of I'm sure you're going to bring up RJ. I certainly hope you are. Yes. But we always talk about during our breaks, and I ask him, Rob has uh, a son and a daughter, and they've gone through minor sports together and different things. His son is playing hockey and baseball and lacrosse. So I asked him, since my dogs don't play any of those sports except fetch, and there's really no lingo other than bark, That Like, what are the kids saying today? Because musically, I'm just not keeping up. Uh, It's not for me. Uh, I don't have to keep up because I don't have that as part of my life. And I can stay stuck in my classic rock or any band that's got guitars in it, and I'll listen to that. The rest of it, I just, I can't do. So to your point about Rick Dees, to be a broadcaster that has a lifespan, like Rick Jenner did of 51 years, you need to be in touch with what the kids are talking about today. And I'll tell you right now, um, so I lean on Rob for some of that. I've got neighbors that are young kids, and we talk, I, hey, like what, what's the cool lingo right now? What's going on out there? Right. And RJ used to always drop some goal references. I think one was Casey Middlestad or Jack. One, it was either Middlestad or Eichel. I think it was Eichel. Uh, and it was just one of RJ's calls. But the the start of that thought, he said, came from one of his grandkids. But this is what the grandkids are saying. This is if the grandkids see something that's cool or interesting, this is how they describe it. These are the adjectives they use now. So even Rick, um, I shouldn't even say awesome. even. You know, I mean, one of the most creative guys in our business. He was doing that. He was doing the Rick D's. He was staying with the times. That's you know part right. of the reason for his longevity. 
Um, obviously, we, we, we have to talk about uh, the legendary uh, Rick Jenneret, who sadly passed away last week. What's your favorite Rick Jenneret story? Story? Is that what you said? Story? Yeah, story. What's your favorite RJ yeah, story? Well, there's, yeah, listen, there are legendary stories that are really from the guts of this hockey team, and I'm talking from trainers and players and people that traveled with RJ that I'm really not going to be the person to put them on the air, but let me just say they're legendary and they're from an era that (laughs) um, if indeed they are true, I don't think we'll ever see again. And I think when you look at where, where we are as a profession and Certainly the number of games, I mean, we're playing in, you know, uh, Mr. Wills will tell you, right? We're playing every other night, pretty much. Some of the social practices that may or may not have gone on back in the day, (laughs) I don't know if you can do today and be on the top of your game. So I'm not saying that they weren't busy back when Rick started calling games, but I do know that there's not a chance I could live up to some of the stories I've heard about just um, life on the road, you know, and some of it you could probably like to uh, a musical act years ago who maybe had a little bit more time between gigs and then whereas maybe now you're playing every other night, there's not a chance, even though bands have done that for years. I think you get my point. Um, I don't want to be the one to share those stories because, I've, you know, they're not first-hand accounts. But let me just say, if they are true, um, RJ was a legend in many ways. As far as just, you know, um, after a game, you sit down and and choose your libation or choose your whatever and enjoy it. And there's, uh, you know, we're talking about years, too. Let's keep this in mind when people used to um, be allowed to smoke in arenas and all that stuff that doesn't happen now. Um, Again, I wasn't there and I don't know. I just, there's things you certainly hear about. Um, as far as my being around RJ for the past decade in Buffalo, you know, the one thing that he, that really stood out to me about him, like, first of all, you can't duplicate what he does. So it's not like you're coming in and you're thinking, you know, what can I take from Rick as far as how he says what he says? That, that's all RJ. Nobody could ever do that. But the one thing you could take and that I would definitely do take going forward from him is reminding everybody that our role as a team broadcaster is to entertain people. Just like your show. You've got people for one of your shows, three hours, four hours. Yeah. We've got them for two and a half hours. We need them to come back. We need to entertain them. Not everything's going to be great. If I just sit and throw stats at people for two hours, it's not going to work. Yes, the hockey analytics people and everyone who loves stats, and they're out there. And you want to make sure that they get what they want, but usually they have it before you anyway. Um, you can put that out there. But if you do a two-hour show on stats and analytics, I'm telling you the general audience is not going to stay tuned. They are going to drop up. So, you know, RJ would remind me of that all the time. you got to entertain these people. And listening to some of the players in the wake of Rick's passing uh, late last week, and one of them was Patrick Coletta, who, for those that didn't see Patrick play, he was a poop disturber, uh, aggressive, <laughs> tough, 
stick up for his teammates, play right on that line. You know, he was a, you know, he was a, a Kachuk before the Kachuks were playing, right? Uh, their father was playing. Right. But he mentioned that there were times when he did things in, in a game that he would watch on the plane, on the eye, on the eye tablets. Um, he'd watch the highlights of whatever it was that he impacted the game with, and he'd have the volume up to hear Rick call it. And he was always amazed at how he says RJ always made it sound like so much more was happening, or that I was way better than I was in that moment. And <laughs> the players loved it. You know, the players' families loved it. Uh, of course, the audience loved it because if you're only listening on the radio, you didn't know. Uh, RJ just had a way of building up moments. So that's what I learned from him was to even to us, if it seems like a mundane thing, hey, this happens, you know, eight, at least 82 times a year, sell it like it's the first time anyone's going to hear it and the only time they're going to hear it. That was Rick Jenner. Dan Dunleavy, the voice of the Buffalo Sabres on MSG Network, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 to fan. Dan, uh, Maddie and I have had this conversation many times the home broadcaster uh, should be a bit of a homer. Like, that's what they should be doing, right? It's not a national broadcast. You're following the team. You travel with the team. They should be a bit of a homer, right? Yeah, I've we've had this discussion a lot, too, um, certainly since coming over to Buffalo. You know, when I was with the Leafs for a couple of years, such a big market, and um, it's completely saturated with so much coverage that, I think when you're a homer in a market that's not as, you know, 4 million people in one city or whatever it's grown to, to your point, you really do need, you need the, the listeners to feel like you're, you're 100% into this as much as they are, and you can't, you can't walk the line of, well, hey, you know, uh, yeah, of course, I hope this team wins, but I want to see a good game. No, no. <laughs> you, you are all in 100%, and that, again go back to Rick. That's what RJ was. And the, the people in Buffalo knew it, and that's why they loved him for so long and still will love him for as long as his memory, which will live on forever. And you, you listen to people talk about it today, is that they knew, as invested as they were sitting at home listening, and as much as they were throwing their rubber bricks or whatever it was, in either anger or pure joy, that RJ was right there with them. And to your point, I know it can be frustrating for someone who's not of that market, and they say, hey, let's listen to what the Buffalo guys are saying, or let's listen to what the Calgary guys are saying, or the New Jersey guys. If you're all in on your team and you're not with New Jersey or Buffalo or the team that you're listening to in the away broadcast, you're probably going to be thinking to yourself, oh, my God, listen to these guys. Now, I try not to go too over the top, but I certainly do you know, make it pretty clear that, yeah, of course, we're way more excited when Buffalo scores. We want Buffalo to win. But we go back to that entertainment point that I just brought up because, you know, you need that local market to tune back into. And, yes, when you're a national broadcaster, you need to find that balance. And a lot of guys kind of go between being a regional guy and then calling some games, whether it be on TNT or Lester, I think, ESPN. But, you know, you certainly hear the critique sometimes. Oh, they got, uh, you know, but certainly got to know Brendan Lamont, an amazing broadcaster with the Islanders. He does a great job on, on the network. But they put a Buffalo listener on and they'll think, oh, the Islander guys are calling the Sabres game on TNT. Or it could be, oh, the Calgary guys calling the uh, Vancouver game on Sportsnet against Toronto. It's, there's something that's not the same about it. So, yes, I think it's something people have 
I think more so learn to expect and, and come to expect now, George, but uh, it, it's kind of had to grow on some folks. And a lot of it comes with the saturation of coverage, too, right? There's just so mm-hmm. much of it. Right. Dan, did you uh, did you have a favorite Rick Jenneret call? Like we, w- I've worked around here right around Christmas a lot of times, and usually one of the shows just before the holidays, we always have our listeners text in for the twelve days of Rick Jenneret, which is just a whole bunch of his calls all together. It's incredible. Uh, do you have a personal favorite? Every time I'm asked this, the brain just right away. Uh, now he's got some brilliant ones that involve Alex McGillney, you know. Mm-hmm. Who says he's afraid to fly? Check out the vapor trail, boss. But I just think, and again, I just think for the fact that it was Brad May, the fact that Brad May scored the goal that won that game against the Bruins, and the fact that Rick Jenneret found what is usually a distress call for some a flight in need or whatever and turned it into an iconic moment of pure joy. I mean, it was almost like you dare to go there, and he did there, he went there, and he nailed it. Mm-hmm. So, Mayday for me is, it might be the best sports call of all time. And for that reason, to take what is probably a distress call and turn it into a memory that will live on forever in just a moment where people jumped off their couches out of their chairs and lost it with RJ. And as a broadcaster, I said this the other day here in Buffalo, I really wish I could have been in the booth when that happened because I would be interested to know what his body language was. Did he throw his arms out? Mm. Did he tell everyone to stand back with his language? Like, cause it just comes to you. You don't write that stuff down. It just comes. Um, and then I'd like to see the reaction of the people that were in the booth with him just thinking, whoa, like, dude, you just wrote hey Jude right there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, how, that's, how amazing, that's how amazing what you just did. Like, Mayday, oh, my God, that's perfect. Like, mm-hmm. where did that come from? So that, that, for me, for all those reasons, it's Mayday. I would that right at the top of the list for me as well. Uh, Got to ask you about the Sabers, the iteration of the club, what they're going to look like for the upcoming season. For free agency, they added Eric Johnson. Uh, they also grabbed uh, another defenseman, Connor Clifton, in free agency, and then we saw the trade for Ilya Labushkin to Anaheim to, uh, for a draft pick. What have you made of kind of the revamped blue line, the pieces that they've added around Owen Power uh, and that Rasmus Dalene blue line? Well, those are certainly two of the biggest pieces that you want to make sure have the right insulation around them. And I'll add to that the goaltending, right? When you take a look at right now with UPL, Devin Levi, and Eric Comrie with all three at the moment being in the mix, and all three have not gone through an entire NHL season as the guy who's carried the complete load of 60 games, 60-plus, you want to make sure that there are not any areas of that defensive core that are lacking experience, grit, and skill. And when you go through the top six now for Buffalo, it's pretty hard to argue the youth, the talent, now the experience is building and it's been added, and then the grit as well with Samuelson and Clifton. And I need your people in Calgary to keep in mind when you watch Rasmus Dolly, this guy can hit too. I mean, they don't want him laying the body too much risking injury, but Rasmus Dahlin, 
when he does that old reverse hit on guys coming around the back of the net, because Darlene's got a target on his back every time they dump the puck in the Sabres zone. But he's really stood up for himself well. Sabres don't have a small defense anymore. Everybody's over six feet. I think Jacob Bryson would be the only one that's not. I could be corrected if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, so they built some nice size. Adding the experience of Johnson is great. And then when you look at the forward group as well, tell you what, there's a lot of guys with a ceiling that there's still a lot of room after good years, led by Dylan Cousins, Tage Thompson. Don't forget Tage was injured last year for a short stint, so the, the goal total could have been even, uh, let's say, you know, maybe four more than he had at the end of the year. Uh, Alex Tuck is just going to wear this team and his heart on his sleeve. And you've got the Quins and Paterka. Quinn injured for now, but he'll be back. We certainly hope that he gets back sooner rather than later. It's going to be a bit. Uh, and if Casey Middlestad lives up to what he was at the end of the year, which was a beast on the wall and really good with the hands, playing on the first line when Chase Thompson was out, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team, guys. Uh, Dan, I know it's a, a dangerous game when I, I put my mind to something and my spidey sense goes off. But the Labushkin trade that kind of flew under the radar on Friday night, is that potentially something the Sabres are doing to clear up some room for potentially grabbing Noah Hannafin from Calgary? Because it feels like Hannafin would fit like a glove in Buffalo. I certainly don't know that. Um, so I won't say you're right or wrong. I, uh, Kevin Adams did not call me uh, <laughs> and inform me of that. Me neither. <laughs> But it's my, I got a hunch, Dan. It's on a hunch. Yeah, I say that tongue in cheek. Well, listen, there's a lot of things in play for the Sabres. So let's keep in mind, when you have a young team and you're realizing the talent of guys um, like Erasmus Dahlin, for example, like an Owen Power, I mean, what's on the horizon for them? Playoff spot, hopefully. Well, for Owen Power. You've got contracts on the horizon. For Asmus Dahlin, you got contract on the horizon. So while it's for, you know, in any certain moment, when you're young and building young talent through the draft, 100% you're not a cap team, but you got to really manage your future, right? Because right. you don't want to put yourself in a position where you cannot add at the end of the day. So I don't you know that could factor in, or could they be looking at someone else? Sure. Um, do I know that it would be Noah, who I know is certainly a lot of talk right now around the league and because you're sitting there? I don't, I don't know that to be the case, certainly from Buffalo's point of view. If I had a gut feeling, I'd say they're pretty happy with their blue line in Buffalo, but that certainly would never mean that they're not trying to make it better. Mm. Dan Dunleavy is the oh. voice of the Buffalo Sabres on the MSG Network. Uh, Dan, terrific stuff today. Thanks for this, pal. All right, guys. How was the duck? Don't forget, guys. You gotta watch. All right. Please give it ten minutes, and you might walk away after ten minutes. Okay, <laughs> we'll do. Uh, thanks for the stand on the Atlas hey, Pizza in Sports Bar guest hotline. Fifteen-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at sixty sixty Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call four zero three two four eight thirty three forty four. All right, uh, Manny, lay it on me. The movie everyone loves that you hate. Lay it on me. Well, you know I'm a bit of a Star Wars honk. Um, uh, yeah. But the one that I am not the biggest fan of is Episode Four, A New Hope. Solid film, but not nearly as good as the five, first one. Five, six. I would risk that there's some in the original trilogy that are better. Rogue One is better. That's my bold take. Mm. Okay. Uh, Patrick's Lord of the Rings. 
I'm uh, the Batman that came out last summer. GVP, do you have a movie that everyone loves that you hate? Uh, John Wick. What? what? Yeah. Those movies stink. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I also want to dump on the entire genre of horror films as well. All of those suck, too. Okay. Did you, uh, he's not a horror guy. I, I can I just say, know. like, there has been there has been some bad takes on this show. I mean, like, woo, dumpster fire of takes. But saying John Wick is a bad movie that last is probably movie, the worst take we've ever had on this show. That final movie was terrible. No, no, don't. It was like Shh. Shh. I haven't half. seen it. Shh. Oh. Don't tell me they about it. They could have cut it in half. They did an entire scene. It's where... been out for months, George. Yeah, that is Shh. on you. It's so bad. Shh. I'm going to spoil oh this anyway. Tell him how it ends. Do I'm it. not listening. It's, on, it's, not, it's not how do it ends. Him, John Wick on. goes through this. I'm talking the OG John Wick. The first one. Yeah, no good. Terrible. Oh, my goodness. No good. <laughs> no good. No good. Didn't like it. Okay. John but that's goes, why we're asking John our listeners. Goes through There's an no right or wrong fight answer. Scene throughout this entire like huge casta- cascading set of stairs, and then he gets to the top, he gets kicked down to the bottom, and then we do it again for another 45 minutes. <laughs> that's not a good film. That is okay. trash. <laughs> okay. That's a hot take. That is hot. This now, is now I'm fired up. Smoking hot. <laughs> John Wick's no good. Okay. <laughs> that, hey, you're entitled to your own opinion. That's why. That was the point of this segment. Opinion are like, we know what. You're Everyone's got one. But uh, 960, 960. Even if they're bad, you're allowed to have them. And what? Uh, name and location. Uh, Derek Will is the voice of the flame straight ahead. And uh, we'll play some of uh, your text messages. The movie everyone loves, but you hate. 960, 960, name and location. Uh, is Lindholm going to sign here? Uh, is Hannafin going to get dealt? Uh, are things going to ramp up? It's training camps around the corner here. Let's talk to Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames, next. It's the big show. Russick and Rose and uh, GVP, a.k.a. Roger Ebert. 960, the fan.